Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. This is Unnecessary Roughness. Caught at the 20. Racing near sideline 10. Turn to the 5. Touchdown Raiders. The crowd applauds because Las Vegas just win, baby. Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your boy Q. Q. That's it. Are we back? <laughs> we back? I'm up here talking about Nelly. I'm getting I'm getting excited for the show later on at the M. <laughs> I think uh Damon is in the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. He's trying to he's efforting Sam Gordon right now, who's gonna be joining us in a few minutes to talk all things Triple G, talk all things Aces, and also talk about the Raiders. Uh got a lot of good good text messages though to get to. Big Al hit us up. Q, Big Al in the Lou. I tweeted Nelly, he sold out. Get me, t- get me two tickets, and I'll buy you guys anything you want all night long. Holler back. That's Big Al. I don't know. I, don't, I, I didn't know the show was sold out, my man. I had no idea. That's, a, that's, that's, a, that's big time, though, if it is. I had no idea that it was uh, sold out. But we got a bunch of us coming to town, so there's that. But uh, hit, hit us up, 702-365-9200, Sam and Ash, text line 69187, keyword R&R. Uh, Fargo Raiders said Q and Demon. I'm here at land tonight. I'm going to have to get out and get my grammar on. Just win, baby. <laughs> That's good. Uh, Mailman Raider said something. Q, I think if Dylan Parham holds up well at center, if that's what he plays, we should be talking about him. He already graded out fantastic at guard. It does, if he does at center, then we'll start feeling a bit more confident about the line. We all know DC will be the main topic, though. So that's what he was saying. The question was that I'd ask is who, who are we going to be talking about on Monday um, you know, after the game, who's the, who's the main person we'll be talking about? And so Mel Mavis Raider was saying if he did a really, if Dylan Parham does a really good job at center, then we'll probably be talking about him. So we'll get back to your calls and texts again. Seven zero two three six five nine two hundred. Salmon Ash text line six nine one eight seven keyword R and R. But right now, join us on the phone lines from the RJ is our good friend Sam Gordon. And Sam, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. We appreciate you. Before we get to Raiders and Aces, how about Triple, Triple G and Canelo? I know the weigh-ins were going on today. The press conference was going on. Lots of fans down there checking it all out what was the scene like down there uh yeah q first and foremost happy friday appreciate you guys having me always a pleasure to join you on the show but um it, it felt like fight week q it felt it felt like fight week uh, especially at the weigh-in there was i would i would venture to guess maybe four or five thousand um spectators you know wow. fans mostly of course of canelo alvarez uh the the house fighter uh the four division champion undisputed undisputed 168 pound champion um, that's going to be defending his title, like you mentioned, against Gennady Golovkin tomorrow at T-Mobile Arena. And i, I got to be honest, too, um, the promotion, the, the, the fight week was a little slow, right? I mean, this is a fight that, it's a big fight. There's no doubt about that, but it would have been bigger in 2019, right? right? Right after, you know, the rematch, um, the rematch that was down to the wire, the so closely contested rematch that Canelo Alvarez won, of course, sending him into the stratosphere now where he's the face of the sport, right? But... Um, it's still a big fight, and, and you felt that down there on Saturday. I, I'm still super excited. Uh, it, it, it is, you know, two of the icons of this particular era, and a lot of speculation about Triple G's future. Of course, he is 40. Um, he has been waiting for this opportunity for four years. But nonetheless, uh, to, to, to your point, it was. It, it felt like you know Mexican Independence Day weekend uh, in Las Vegas with Canelo Alvarez fighting, and that's how it was. You know, that, that's how it was supposed to feel all week. 
and we finally felt that here on Friday afternoon. Yeah, see, I was one. I'm glad you brought that up because I was that was something I was going to ask you because to me it just felt like it wasn't enough buzz about the fight, yep. and I felt like it was a big deal. But so you felt that as well that it just the buzz wasn't there either. Yeah, it's just it's just not quite the same, and you know, it, would it? I think it would be a lot different. It would have a lot different tenor to it. Different tenor to it had Canelo Alvarez um, not got you know dismantled by Dimitri Bivol in May. Like that wasn't part of the plan. The plan for Canelo Alvarez was to beat Dimitri Bivol at 175 pounds, take his WBA light you know light heavyweight strap from him, and then for Gennady Golovkin actually to come in to the ring that night and, and to announce. Uh, the trilogy. I think there would be a different kind of momentum, a different kind of buzz had that been the case. But of course, we remember what happened here Cinco de Mayo weekend. It was it was a non-competitive fight that people dominated, and of course, um, changed the tenor, just kind of changed the tone of the promotion. But with that said, uh, I do still think there's some intriguing storylines. Now we get to see how Canelo responds after a loss, something we haven't seen since 2013 when he you know lost to Floyd Mayweather, the the, the loss that really uh, thrust him into the mainstream spotlight that he's enjoyed ever since. Um, that's big, right? Triple G, of course, even though he's 40, uh, he might be 40, but he still fought Canelo better than ever, anybody besides Bebo and Floyd Mayweather. You go back, watch those 24 rounds, a lot of people think Triple G won not just the first fight, uh, which, of course, was the controversial draw featuring the 118-110 scorecard, Adelaide Birds, um, 118-110 special uh, in favor of Canelo Alvarez, but you can make a case he won the second fight as well. So these were 24 Hotly contested rounds, even at 40. Uh, you know Triple G has nothing to lose. He's going to empty the tank tomorrow night uh, and try and right what he believes was the wrongs of 2017 and 2018. And look, he still has a granite chin until we see otherwise. He still has real power. We saw that in April when he stopped Ryota Morata. Uh, and he has no fear of Canelo. He believes he beat Canelo twice. He's not intimidated the way maybe some other fighters, some of Canelo's other opponents are, just by the fanfare and everything. He's been there. He's done that. He thinks he won the first two fights, and I think we are in for an absolute classic uh, tomorrow night because you've got Canelo promising a knockout that's going to lend himself to being aggressive, or they promise that he's going to try for a knockout be the first stoppage Triple G's ever experienced. And you know Triple G likes to come forward. You know the power he has. So it's going to be a banger tomorrow night, even if the promotion uh, didn't make it seem that way. And boxing legacy means so much, more than any other sport, if you ask me, Sam. So who needs the win more for their legacy this Saturday? That's a great question, Damon. I don't think there's any question about it. It's, it's Canelo Alvarez, right? Based on, you know, again, Triple G, his, he's been at middleweight his entire career. We know what he's accomplished there. He dominated the division uh, for, for a decade plus, right? Losing um, only to Canelo Alvarez. His legacy is secure. What he has done in that division, he will go down as one of the, the, the great modern you know, middleweights and one of the great you know, middleweights of this particular era. But Canelo Alvarez has, is, has been the one who has talked about legacy, right? He was the one who talked before the people fight about going up to heavyweight, maybe fighting uh, Alexander Usyk at 201 pounds, going up to cruiserweight, trying to be the undisputed champion at 175 pounds. Don't get me wrong. There's no problem in having those goals and having those ambitions but it felt to me like he overlooked Dimitri Bivol a little bit, especially, you know, maybe everything's more clear in hindsight. But it was a different kind of Canelo. You, you, you know, previous promotions, you always heard him, yes, his legacy was important, but he was focused on the fight at hand. And, you know, before the last promotion, um, he was talking about, base, you know, fights years down the road. And that was, a, you know, that was atypical for somebody as focused as Canelo. What we've seen this week, what I've noticed this week, is a completely different level of focus. This is a man who knows, look, if he loses at, you know, you know his undisputed 168-pound championship, 
right now at, at the age of 32 when he's supposed to be at the peak of his powers, if he loses to Triple G, well, then those two decisions from 2017 and 2018 are going to be called into question even more. And then you have the whole dynamic of, hey, this guy in his prime lost to a 40-year-old that was <laughs> getting tagged up in his last fight. So this, I mean, if Canelo Alvarez loses tomorrow and if he doesn't look good, if he struggles the way he did against Dimitri Bivol, um, then I think there's you know, going to be a domino effect. I think he would lose you know, his standing um, as the top star in boxing. At least it would, that, that star would be certainly dimmed a little bit if it wasn't already. Uh, by the loss of Dimitri Bivol, and then you know the ambitions, you know, in terms of being a you know unified 175 pound champion, avenging the Bivol loss, like those, you know, get tabled as well. So this is definitely a legacy defining fight for Canelo Alvarez, not necessarily in the opponent, but in the sense that he cannot afford to lose. I, I, not only does he have to win tomorrow night, I think he has to look good doing it. I mean, he has to dominate a fighter eight years his senior, whether that means getting a stoppage or a dominant decision. I don't know, one way or the other, but I, I think there's a lot of pressure on him not only to win but to look good as well. Talking right now with Sam Gard- Gordon from the RJ here on Radio Nation Radio 920 and say Roughness. And Sam, one more question about the fight, and it's not even really about this fight. It's just about Canelo in, in particular. Oh, I remember when Oscar De La Hoya was you know, on the come up and everyone was rooting for him, everyone was cheering for him, and then he fought and beat the brakes off of Julio Cesar Chavez, which was like a folk hero at the time, right? I mean, he was, yeah. he was everybody's hero, and it felt to me that a lot of people turned on Oscar De La Hoya then because they didn't like him taking that fight. Now, fast forward to Canelo and the first fight with Triple G where a lot of people think that that was just a terrible decision and that obviously the judge was pulling for Canelo. Did that, did that make a lot of people kind of turn against Canelo a little bit, kind of stain his name a little bit as well? You know, that is a fantastic question. I think, you know, big picture, um, yeah, just kind of the whole trilogy in, in a way uh, I think has, you know, changed you know, the perception of Canelo to a degree. Not necessarily for the worst, right? Like, right. But just in general, right? Let's not forget, after the first fight, he pops the positive test, um, you know, the positive PED test, and, 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 you know, attributes it to tainted meat that he had in Mexico, right? Whether right. that's true or not true, the fact that he had a banned substance in his system in between fight, fights against Triple G at that time, that's something that doesn't really get discussed, but, but it, it definitely... Um, you know, kind of undermined the rematch a little bit and affected uh, the promotion. And definitely if you were looking for a reason to dislike Canelo Alvarez, well, there you have it, right? Especially in a sport um, like boxing. So I, I think that's very noteworthy. But, yeah, you know, anytime um, you, you win close fights or win fights that people don't necessarily think you won, it's going to create a, a talking points. It's going to create some drama. And, and now with Canelo taking, you know, this fight now in 2022 as opposed to 2019, when it was when it was fresh, I, I get the sense that you know there's portions of uh, you know there's people that love boxing that are into boxing that think why now what's the point of this fight happening right now it, it's too late it's if he wins right you're supposed to win this is what you're supposed to do you beat a guy that's you know that's forty and it's not is it really that impressive right uh, if he loses then then we know you know you know what else needs to be said right so I think that's kind of the attitude around this particular fight. I think there's definitely more compe- you know, more compelling fights than this one. Not to say this one isn't compelling, but you know, it'll be interesting to see the direction he goes after this. Does he go after the rematch with Dimitri Bivol? Does he take a fight with David Benavidez? That's the one I want to see at 168 pounds, Canelo and David Benavidez. We'll see. But, but the timing of this fight and just kind of the tenor of this entire trilogy is definitely changed a little bit, and, and the onus is on him 
uh, come come tomorrow when he gets in that ring to to, to end the trilogy uh, the way he wants to and, and to be re- to have it be remembered on his terms. Talking again with Sam Gordon here on Radio Nation Radio 921 to turn our attention to the Aces now. They dropped last night's game. Now it's 2-1. to one. They'll play game four of the finals against Connecticut in Connecticut on Sunday. Of course, the Raiders play on Sunday as well. How does Coach Hammond adjust? They, she's seen what Connecticut has done, the, the adjustments that they made in game three. Now what does she do as a counter move, kind of her chess move, to, uh, to put her team in a better position to win on Sunday? Yeah, great question, Hugh. I think there, there's one thing tactically that, that, that kind of jumped out to me that I think she can go to uh, on Sunday, right? And, and, and I think what the major adjustment Connecticut made was they put more length with Dewana Bonner on Chelsea Gray, who, of course, has been simmering um, this entire postseason. They put 6-4 more length on Chelsea Gray, and then they aggressively trapped uh, ball screens whenever, you know, whenever one of the bigs would come up and set a ball screen. So you, you have two long, big defenders Trapping Chelsea Gray 25 feet from the basket, 30 feet from the basket when she's running pick and rolls, getting the ball out of, out of her hands. It really uh, affected the way the Aces were able to flow offensively. I, I think there's, there's one adjustment, right? Instead of having a big come up and screen for Chelsea Gray, what about having Kelsey Plum or another guard, right? Guard, guard mm. screening for guard, slipping that screen, getting the ball out to her, and then she has the opportunity to make plays four on three in the, in the lane or to shoot from the perimeter. So Becky Hammond, I think one thing, too, that we've seen all, you know, throughout the course of the playoffs, anytime she, uh, you know, the, the opposing coaching staff gets the better of her, she's always going to adjust. She's done that throughout the course of the postseason. That's one adjustment that, that, that comes to mind you know, off the top of my head that she can implement tomorrow that I think will create some space and help Chelsea Gray and help get her guards going you know, on the perimeter. I, I think the other adjustment is just they, they have to play harder, right? Like Connecticut came out yesterday desperate facing elimination, and it, as, as hard as you know you want to try, right? you can't just conjure up desperation. The Aces subconsciously knew that last night was not a must-win game, and they played like it. Right. Now, on Sunday, I, I don't expect that at all, because you do not want to get in a Game 5 situation where anything can happen, and especially to you, if they do come back for a Game 5, you're looking at that game being an MGM Grand Guard because of a scheduling conflict at Michelob Ultra Arena. So they don't even get to play in their own arena mm. for the decisive game of the finals. Uh, all the pressure shifts to them. It's a do-or-die game. You don't want to be in that situation. So I don't think effort is going to be any bit of an issue on Sunday. I think you are going to see maximum energy because uh, we certainly didn't see that yesterday, and the score is, is indicative of that or was indicative of that and, and reflective of that. And then, um, and yeah, I don't think the trapping will be nearly as effective. The aggressive traps, I think uh, Becky Hammond is going to have adjustments and counters ready to go, and the Aces are going to be you know, ready to go to go win the championship. Now, will they do it? I, I don't know. I'm not sure. But when, when this team is at its best and they weren't on Thursday, when, it, when they are at their best, though, I don't think Connecticut can hang with the Aces. All right, you mentioned the adjustments that they can make on the offensive side, but what about on defense? Because I don't think that them scoring over 100 points was just that desperation. What did the Aces lack on the defensive end last night? Yeah, I just thought Connecticut, um, Devon, was really ready. You know, they were ready for, for the Aces, um, just different pick-and-roll coverages, right? The Aces like to force ball handlers to the sideline and to the baseline whenever you can. It's called icing the, icing the screen, icing the pick-and-roll. It's, it's a common coverage that we've seen in basketball, you know, for a decade-plus. And, and you, what, what you're trying to do is force that guard into taking a, you know, a mid-range jumper if you can or having them, you know, have to reset, really slow the possession down and maybe run another pick-and-roll. Uh, the some were, were ready. They, they knew where their outlets were. Uh, they knew how to slip and how to cut and how to adjust accordingly. So I think we're going to you know, see some, dif- some differences 
defensively in terms of how they scheme, you know, how they how they uh, guard pick and rolls. We might maybe they go back a little bit to the zone. I know we've seen the zone at different times, varying levels of effectiveness. And then if they're scoring more effectively too on the other end, um, they're going to be able to set their defense and just not, you know, Connecticut's not going to be able to push and play with a little bit of pace uh, the way they were yesterday. It's, it's interesting because you, you get the sense that pace uh, normally tends to favor the aces, but, but Connecticut had no problem getting into a track meet yesterday. And in doing so, I thought it really took away from the aces offensive flow. I think in the first quarter there, uh, you kind of saw them revert to some of the one-on-one stuff, and, and the ball wasn't moving the way it had been throughout the course of the series. Um, so I think their offense is, is a weapon that's going to help their defense as well. But, uh, yeah, we're definitely going to see some adjustments. Uh, they, they have to figure out what to do with Alyssa Thomas. She was so good making plays um, from the elbow and, and just her physicality and playmaking and, and everything she's able to do. You've got to be more physical with her. It's just, it, I, I hate to reduce it to effort, DeMond, but that is a big piece of it. They, they, the Connecticut was just more physical – uh, they they were they were they, they attacked the glass harder. They, they out rebounded the Aces by 14 last night. So that that is a big piece of it. But no, if they're a better offensively and just a little bit more prepared for Connecticut's you know release valves on their their pick and roll coverages, they should be fine. Because Connecticut really struggled to score in the first two games of the series when the Aces were were, were all the way locked in um, with their defensive game plan. With, with a couple adjustments, I, I think they should be fine. I would be surprised if they yield 100 points again. Yeah, I would too. And, and I'll say this, man. Connecticut on Thursday was just better. They were just a better mm-hmm. team. Bottom line, everything yeah. they did was better than the Aces on Thursday. Final question for you, Sam. Uh, as far as the sun goes, they are now 4-0 and in elimination games. What does that tell you about that team? Man, great question. Um, they're mentally tough. I mean, they do not want to lose. They've been there and done that. When, when you take... I think kind of it's an interesting question, Q, because I think when you take a look at you zoom out and take a look at the macro viewpoint of what this series looks like, right? It, 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 here you have Vegas, you have the Aces, three number one overall picks, first million dollar coach, ten thousand people with you know Floyd Mayweather and Tom Brady sitting courtside, and a very glamorous team and market, and that plays an up tempo style of basketball, super exciting. The MVP, you know, very very flashy compared to. Connecticut, which is a lot of underdogs and players that weren't number one picks, and players that might be on their second or third team, or that didn't have you know the same kind of opportunities that a lot of the Aces play, the Aces players have had. So, with that said, Connecticut, the players on their team, just the city, the market, the, 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 they they are used to overcoming. They have had to overcome to build this franchise in this position that they're in right now. They don't have a number one pick on the roster, let alone three. This wasn't a team that was built through the draft and with, with big, you know, glamorous free agents. and It wasn't like that. This was a team that got there by doing what they did yesterday, by being physical, by being rugged, by mucking things up the way they were able to do in game one. So there's no doubt about it. This is a resilient team, a mentally tough team that finally broke through and got to this point. Let's not forget they were the number one overall seed last year. John Carl Jones was the MVP, and the, the wheels kind of came off in the playoffs, and, and it, you know, they didn't really get it together and didn't make the finals. So that – much like it did for the Aces, I think, steal their resolve and have them at a point now where, yeah, the Aces are going to have to play with maximum effort to put them out of the playoffs to, to, to win the championship. They're not going to be able to just show up and think that their talent is good enough to beat them. They were super precise in the way they executed the first two ga- you know, their, their first two game plans in games one and two, and, and with the effort and the, the physicality that they played with, because you know Connecticut's going to bring that every night. And, of course, Connecticut brought that with their back against the wall once again, you know you're going to get that on Sunday, and it's on the Aces to match that and, and even turn it up even higher if they want to avoid coming back to Las Vegas for a game five.
Absolutely. I'll tell you right now, man, sometimes the hardest game to win is that final one, right? Sometimes it's just no hard doubt, to no, no doubt. <laughs> you know, put that nail in the coffin. Well, Sam, fantastic stuff, man. Great breakdown of the fight. Great breakdown of the aces. I didn't even have time for Raiders. I ran out of time, but that's okay. I will not I, I can take it from here. So you you got it covered, man. You're the man. What, what do you got coming out on the RJ that uh, that we should be on the lookout for? Yeah, Q, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. I, I, I will be ringside tomorrow night to cover Canelo Alvarez and, and Triple G. And I'm finishing up a profile. Do, do, not, do not sleep on the co-feature tomorrow night. Bam Rodriguez, 22 years old from San Antonio, Texas. He is a future pound-for-pound pound superstar. I went out to Riverside last week and hung out with him and spent some time with him in his training camp finishing up a profile on him that's going to run this weekend. So appreciate you guys having me. Looking forward to the next time we talk and and a lot going on in Vegas this weekend, guys. So make sure you enjoy it, and we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate you. We'll see you in the press box, man. Good stuff right there from Sam Gordon. Fantastic. And I'm looking forward to that breakdown. And that's the name. There you go, Damon, who does the fight game on our sister station, 1230 AM, the game. That's a name right there. Sam just gave you a nugget. Keep that on your radar. That's a uh, that's one that you can get on early, and you can be a uh, you know you you could be on that on that train, man. You could be the leader of that train right there uh, with that young man. So I'm looking forward to that profile by one Sam Gordon on Twitter at by Sam Gordon. Of course, he puts all his workout on the RJ. 4:20 is the time. We'll come back. Got a lot of feedback on the text line. Got a lot of feedback on the phone line. Plus, we'll hear from Lee Sterling from ParamountSports.com. Let you know how you can make some money this weekend. This is Radio Nation Radio 920. You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. We've had a fun show so far. Still got about 35 minutes left. Heard from Raider safety Deron Harmon. He started this whole show off right at 2 o'clock, kicked everything off. That was a great way to get going on today's show. We heard from Darren Urban talking all things Cardinals. We heard from Cassie Soto talking all things Raiders. We heard from Josh Jacobs in the Raiders locker room. Just heard from Sam Gordon talking all things Triple G and Canelo and the Aces. We've been, man, all over the spot. Also heard from you, Raider Nation, at 702-365-9200. Sam and Ash text line, 69187, keyword R&R. We're still on the way. Lee Sterling from ParamountSports.com. Going to let you know how you, where, you could, where you could lay some money this weekend, some games you could lay some money on this weekend, and earn you some money, you know, earn you some extra money. Maybe you can, uh, you know, buy something fancy for yourself this weekend. Maybe you can buy a couple extra drinks at the uh, at the Nelly show. Who knows? But Lee Sterling will join us in a, in a matter of minutes to talk some college football and talk some NFL, look at the lines, and tell you where to place some money. But I want to hear from you, 69187, keyword R&R, 702-365-9200. Who is a player or player or two? Who is a position maybe that you think we'll be talking about a lot come Monday? Whatever the results of the game is on Sunday between the Cardinals and the Raiders, who do you think we're going to be really talking about come Monday? I think Jerron Harmon, who we talked to to start the show, is going to be a guy that we talk about. He's going to get a lot of burn now that Trayvon Merrick has been officially ruled out. If you're just tuning in, Trayvon Merrick is officially out. Andre James, the center, is officially out. Denzel Perryman, the linebacker, is officially out for the game on Sunday. So I think Jerron Harmon is going to get a lot, of, lot more burn than he got even week one. And it's going to be, he's going to be very important and valuable to this Raiders defense because you have Kyler Murray, who is not an easy out. He's not one of those guys. Now, I'm not saying he's you know, the greatest quarterback in the world, but he's got a lot of talent, arm talent and just overall athleticism where he can make a lot of things happen. He's a dangerous, dangerous quarterback. 
So I think Jerron Harmon on the back end of that defense is really going to make sure everyone is where they need to be and prepared for this game come Sunday. So I think that's a guy that we'll be talking about quite a bit. But you can hit us up and let us know who you think, whatever's on your mind. Also, earlier today, had an opportunity to be at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center and was talking to head coach Josh McDaniels, and then they went out and had practice, and then they had the locker room action. Now, I wasn't able to go to the locker room because we were doing the show at 2 o'clock, and locker room action opened up at 1.30. But thanks to Vinny and Heidi, they sent us over Josh Jacobs. That was great. I want you to hear a little bit from what Josh McDaniels had to say. And the first one is about the self-inflicted wounds that the Raiders had last week. And this is actually a question I asked him about because all training camp, all preseason, all we kept hearing about was attention to detail and not beating yourself, not beating yourself, not beating yourself. So I asked him straight up, did those moments, Daniel Carlson kicking the ball out of bounds, making them get the ball to 40, you know, turnovers, uh, penalties at, uh, at bad times, did that provide a teaching moment for him and his staff? I think you can only say that so many times you know we understand what it means you know what I mean I think our players and our team understand what it means Uh, certainly you know before you can win you have to not lose the game with things like that you know self-inflicted penalties or turnovers what have you Um, I think they all understand what that is um, but I don't think it's really it's not great coaching for me to stand up here and just keep saying that you know what I mean if there's something that I can um, you know, can can coach and and help the player improve something that they didn't do as well. That's really where the focus needs to be. Um, certainly, nobody on our team is attempting to do anything like that. You know what I mean? Like commit a penalty or anything like that. So, um, I've learned over many years not to you know just hold my breath and stomp my feet when those things happen. You know, if I have some constructive, then I'm going to try to coach it. You know what I mean? And that's the best I can do. Um, but our guys, I think they really understand what we're trying to do. I thought they demonstrated that in the preseason of trying to be, you know, less penalized, trying to take care of the football on a, on a play-to-play basis. So um, just going back to our fundamentals and really working on that, trying to do it in practice. You know, we believe that what we do in practice will carry over to the game. So there's head coach Josh McDaniels and talking about the self-inflicted wounds, and there's only so many times you could talk about it. You know, you just it's got to become muscle memory, and so that's why he said sometimes I just got to stomp my feet, you know, and just because it obviously irritates the mess out of him. But there's only so many times that you can, you know, hammer it home, hammer it home, hammer it home. But that's obviously what they've got to pay attention to this week against the Cardinals. They can't allow them, put them in better positions to succeed on their own. You know, they've got to be able to to make the Cardinals go out there and beat them, not let the Raiders assist the Cardinals in beating them. Also, was asked about the offensive line, uh, offensive linemen playing in multiple positions. Here's what Josh McDaniels had to say about that. I think, you know, offensive linemen by nature, if they do play multiple positions, um, I think every rep is really a positive for them because, again, what, like you're making a call and you're at right guard, and that means something to you that it might not mean to you on the left side. If you're a center, you know, you're kind of in tune with both sides at the same time, and so – being able to process all that information and then use it when you're at whatever spot you're at, I don't think there's a negative to that. I really don't. I think it's a positive no matter what. Um, <clears throat> and our goal will always try to be, you know, let's put the five guys out there that give us the best opportunity to have some success. Um, and, and in last week's case, we're early in the season. It's a hot, humid day. You know, there ends up being seven guys play and contribute, which is a good thing. So, um, you know, he's we wouldn't put him in that position if we didn't think he could handle it and he, and he hadn't proved that he could handle it for weeks and now months at a time. 
So um, feel comfortable with, with him being able to play multiple roles. And him is Dylan Parham, the third-round pick out of Memphis. Uh, now that we know officially that Andre James is out, dealing with concussion-like symptoms, has to be cleared. Uh, he has to clear the concussion protocol before he can get back out there on the field or get out there back in practice. Uh, it looks like Dylan Parham will probably be the guy who's the starting center. You know, and so he's going to have to play multiple roles, and he has played multiple roles, and he's worked with Derek Carr, and he's, you know, he's worked on the, the small things that he has to do. And the one thing that Dylan Parham has proven so far in a very small sample size, that the stage is not too big for him. Is he going to make mistakes? Sure. But the stage is not too big where it looks like he's overwhelmed. He's definitely in a good place. So that's, that's a positive right there. I uh, want to get one more sound bite in. How about we talk about the deferring – uh, if they win the coin toss, something that we talked about earlier in the week, and that's what the Raiders did uh, on Sunday against the Chargers. They won the coin toss. They deferred to the second half, something I said I would do all the time. And so Adam Hill, I believe, is the one who asked head coach Josh McDaniels about his philosophy when it comes to you know deferring. Do, does, does he do that? If he wins the, the coin toss, is he going to do that every time? What exactly goes into the philosophy behind that? Depends. Uh, it depends on. I mean, we play a lot of games inside this year, so obviously wind will be less of a factor than it's been in my uh, in my lifetime uh, this year. Uh, so that would, you know, will be less of a consideration, you know, at the beginning of the game. But if it's ever an outdoor game with significant wind or fa- factors in the weather, uh, where you would want to have the opportunity to choose the wind in the fourth quarter, um, that could certainly affect it, you know. And then you look at everything else, like. You know, how does the other team start on offense? How well have they done or what defensively or, you know, what where do you feel like, you know, the best place for you to start the game would be if you win the toss? So um, we try to make a smart decision, but it's definitely something that we use a lot of information and there's a lot of people that factor into to that choice. There's head coach Josh Bajanis talking about the decision to, you know, either defer or take the ball. And, you know, I said that I would defer every single time, but, you know, I didn't factor in what he was just saying about, well, maybe, you know, if you're looking at the wind and you're talking about the fourth quarter and you're trying to be strategic, and that's why I'm not the head coach. That's why I'm just a guy talking about it. They have to think about everything, the big picture. Again, for me, it's easy just to say, yeah, just defer to the second half. That's the best idea. But there's so many things that go into play there. How does a team start? Some teams start slow. So if a team starts slow, you might want to defer, give them the ball first, and then you feel like you're still in a possession. It's damn near like a turnover, right? So there's a lot that goes into it. That's why I thought it was important to let head coach Josh McDaniels speak on that. And I thought that was a great question asked by Adam Hill, a guy that you hear on our sister station ESPN Las Vegas. He writes for the RJ and is a frequent guest here on Unnecessary Roughness as well. When we come back, we're going to talk to Lee Sterling from ParamountSports.com. He'll let you know about all the betting lines. We'll talk a little college football, a little NFL, let you know how you can win some money. Before we do that, though, I want to hear from you at 702-365-9200. Matter of fact, caller number nine is what I'm looking for. I got two tickets to 7 Brew Oktoberfest. It's a four-day festival, September 29th, October 2nd at the Orleans. Winner is also going to qualify for a six-pack of VIP tickets. To, at ticket, uh, get your tickets at Ticketmaster.com right now. But we have tickets. We have a pair of tickets for you that we want to hook up for caller number nine at 702-365-9200. Hit us up right now. Lee Sterling's on the way. It's Rare Nation Radio 920. It's time to take a look at the lines that can help win you some money with Lee Sterling from ParamountSports.com. Brought to you by Joe's Stone Crab, located inside the Caesars Forum Shops, here on Raider Nation Radio 920. 
And Lee Sterling joins us now on the phone lines to talk all things betting lines and see where you can win some money this weekend as we turn our attention to college and pro football. And Lee, man, what a really good Thursday night game we had between Kansas City and the Chargers. Kansas City comes out on top. Uh, Justin Herbert, obviously his ribs are a massive concern. But, man, a great way to start week two. What do you think about Thursday night's game? Crazy game. I mean, outside of the feed, I don't know about you, but I have Amazon Prime, but it would take like two or three minutes for it to clear up. It looked like I was watching like <laughs> TV in like the 70s. So uh, uh, eventually it was fine. But uh, yeah, I had the right side. I, I, You know what? I very rarely play money lines, but uh, the Chiefs were minus 175 on the money line. I'm like, you know what? I think the Chiefs are going to win, but I just can't you know, lay four points against a team that usually does well with them, especially in Kansas City. So it worked out great for me. But if you bet the four-point line, I mean, it was decided on that fourth down yeah. uh, that, that the Chargers scored. So didn't want to leave it at that. I'd rather take my shot on recovering an onside kick, which was still uh, went, it was crazy. I yeah. thought they might have blown it there. But uh, fun game to watch. Two really good and talented teams. Uh, thought that actually Andy Reid didn't do a great job of play calling, uh, not one of his better games, but uh, turns out Patrick Mahomes finds a way. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes finds a way, and defense made enough plays, including obviously the big pick six. That was a huge turning point for the Kansas City Chiefs. But, yeah, I mean, just uh, every element of the game goes into it, right? you got to play it on all three uh, levels, uh, offense, defense, special teams, to go and win NFL games. And, Lee, before we get into any of these games this uh, this upcoming weekend and the game this evening, uh, how much more or how much better do you think the, the action will be this week compared to last week as far as, you know, just teams working out the rust and working out the kinks from not really playing? playing in the preseason oh it should it should just take off i mean the offense is a lot of these quarterbacks you just you know it's it's if just the reps i mean you can't just replicate it you know doing a practice a joint practice with another team uh there's nothing like getting into a game um you know the pressure is just ramped up so uh i think you're going to see the offenses uh, get it going more this week and uh that's what's happened you know preseason teams are afraid uh, to get their star players injured. So uh, week one, a little tougher, more defensive battles. I think we'll see it open up this weekend. Yeah, I did too. I'm excited about it. So let's go ahead and get into some action. Again, we're talking with Lee Sterling from ParamountSports.com on Twitter at Paramount Sports here on Radio Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. Let's start off with a college game, Mountain West action. It's actually happening tonight. Air Force and Wyoming. Air Force is 2-0. and Wyoming is 2-1. and uh, The lines on this one, Lee, Air Force minus 16.5 versus Wyoming. Break this one down. Yeah, so I think this Air Force team is pretty darn good. Uh, this might be their best team since 1985 uh, when they rose all the way to number four in the polls. Their fullback, Brad Roberts, this kid is a lethal weapon. People think of you know, fullbacks is 6'2", 235. Well, he's 5'11", 205. Mm. He is strong. He is a breakaway threat here. Gained over 1,300 yards last year. Has almost 200 yards this year, and he hasn't even played a fourth quarter. And I think this is one of the worst Wyoming teams I've seen in decades here. They were decimated in the transfer portal here. Flyboys, big. 38-14 over Wyoming. There it is right there. Air Force of Wyoming starting us off today here on Red Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. All right, Lee, how about we turn our attention to the NFL? How about the New England Patriots and the Pittsburgh Steelers? The Patriots are 0-1. The Steelers are 1-0 and were involved in a crazy wild game week one against the, the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? New England minus two versus Pittsburgh. So I, I, I had Pittsburgh 
last week, but I'm going to go against him this week. Mm. I thought there was a great setup last week. You know, Joe Burrow talked about quarterbacks not coming out and playing to the highest level. He was certainly rusty. Four interceptions in that game. He'll play better down the road. He'll be fine, but just didn't get any reps, didn't get enough uh, in, in any any of their preseason games. I like New England. Really good bounce-back team. In fact, they're 8-4 and four against the spread after a loss the last couple of years. And uh, Pittsburgh, 2-8 and eight against the spread the last 10 times, following a point spread cover. I mean, how many times do you have a 5-0 turnover advantage and you need a block extra point <laughs> right. to go into overtime and win? I can't remember that ever happening. I think their offensive line is a patchwork affair, one of the worst three offensive lines. Uh, Najee Harris may not make it uh, to another contract. And I I just think this Patriots defense is underrated. They held the Miami offense to 13 points. Another Dolphins touchdown came on that strip sack here. I like the way the Patriots rotate their running backs uh, to each of their strengths here. I think the Patriots get untracked here. I think Pittsburgh is not even an average team this year. Um, New England. 23-13 23-13 over Pittsburgh. There it is. New England trying to improve to 1-1 one one on the season. I know they have question marks on their offense, but you think at some point New England's going to figure things out, and Coach Belichick's just too good of a coach not to figure something out. So there you go, New England and Pittsburgh. Lee has New England minus two over Pittsburgh. How about this? How about the Baltimore Ravens and the Miami Dolphins? The Ravens want to know. The Miami Dolphins, you know very well, they're one to know. Something's got to give on this one. The Ravens minus three and a half versus the Dolphins. What are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, so I love my Dolphins. Uh, loved them last week. I think they're up against it this week. So people are talking about all the injuries on the Baltimore offensive line, losing Ronnie Stanley. But Patrick McCarry, one of the best utility offensive linemen. He plays all five positions. Uh, the way Baltimore develops uh, offensive linemen, almost anyone really except for wide receiver, uh, is just speaks a lot for their organization and their coaches. So McCarty will step in. He grades out usually in the top half, rarely allows a sack. They'll be fine there. I think Lamar Jackson running and throwing the football is going to present problems to Miami, who faced uh, a stationary Matt Jones last weekend. So uh, Baltimore's dominated Miami. They've won and covered nine of the last ten. They do it again here, 27-17. Oh, there it is right there. I like that one. And Baltimore, man, uh, their front office, they're, they're sharp, man. They draft guys. They develop guys. They let guys leave a free agency. They bring free agents in. I think the only place that they kind of fail at sometimes is in the wide receivers when they bring those guys in by way of free agency. But besides that, you know, they're they're pretty good when it comes to their front office. Again, we're talking with Lee Sterling from ParamountSports.com here on Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920 on this Friday. And, Lee, it wouldn't be right if we got out of here without talking about those Raiders that host the Arizona Cardinals at Allegiant Stadium. Uh, they obviously are 0-1 on the season after losing to the Chargers. The Cardinals got blown out by the Kansas City Chiefs. The Raiders are minus 5.5 versus the Cardinals. Thoughts on this one, Lee? So I'm watching the game last week, and I'm just saying Derek Carr, another one of these quarterbacks, just did not play enough, in my opinion, in, in, in preseason, and it cost him. Um, Devontae Adams is just incredible. So <laughs> I, I think that, that Carr and his mates are going to get going here. I expect a much cleaner performance here. And then if you look at Arizona, I think they've got some real problems here. Uh, their offensive line, not good enough. Uh, also, their defensive line, uh, they're banged up there. So uh, 
those are two areas. And maybe the worst spot is their secondary. I mean, their secondary is downright awful. I grade them in the bottom three. So I think Cliff Kingsbury's in trouble. Um, and then their quarterback position, I mean, what, what do you say? I mean, uh, you know, could they eventually figure it out? Yes, but um, you know, out their top receiver, I, I just don't see it. So uh, I think the Raiders get on track here. Uh, I think they even have the special teams edge. Let's go with the Raiders here. Raiders big. 30 to 17. Oh, man, 30 to 17. Yep. That's close to the score that I've been picking. I said 34 17, 30, uh, 34 21, something around that range. So, me and you are on the same page right there. And it's so funny, Lee. Everyone we've talked to, we've been previewing the Cardinals all week long as we've been previewing. Every single person that covers the Cardinals basically echoed everything you said about this team is just a bad team, right? And Cliff Kingsbury yeah. honestly could be in some big-time trouble there. So Captain Cool might not be cool if he doesn't get his stuff together. And Kyler Murray, well, Kyler Murray's Kyler Murray. So there's yep. that. All right. Well, there it is. Raider Nation, uh, feel good about yourself. Lee Sterling said that they're going to get off the off the snide and improve to one-and-one with a victory over the Cardinals. Fantastic stuff as always, Lee. Anyone wants to reach out to you, get some more information from you, what do they need to do? Just go to my website, ParamountSports.com. We have the most talked about promotion this weekend. I get more emails, calls, and texts from clients. It's the Baker's Dozen. We only had nine games the entire weekend last weekend. We went a really strong six and three. But I found 13 games where I feel I've got the edge. So you want to hop on board, combine 13 games from Saturday morning to Sunday night, just $97. That's right. You heard me correct. Not 197 or 297 just $97 for 13 games. And on top of that, as soon as you purchase it, window pops open with all 13 games so you don't have to call me back on Saturday and Sunday morning for the games. You're ready to go. We've had some 12-1, and 11-2, and 10-3 and and records on the Baker's Dozen. So 13 games, Baker's Dozen. How do you get it? How do you hop on board? ParamountSports.com. Simple as that. Thank you so much, Lee. Great stuff as always. Again, you can find Lee on Twitter at Paramount Sports and here with us on Fridays to give you a little bit of insight, a little bit of intel of what you should do, where you should place your money to uh, make sure you're a winner this upcoming weekend and every upcoming weekend. Many thanks to Lee. We definitely appreciate you. When we come back, we'll close out the show. Last few minutes of Friday's show, last few minutes of this week. We'll make them count. It's Rare Nation Radio 920. I love our fans here in Las Vegas. You know, they, you know, when we when we came here, no one knew the home field advantage. What would that be like? Would it be the same as Oakland? And Oakland was a special place, you know. Uh, but being here in Vegas, they've been every every bit uh, the Raider Nation, and it's been loud and it's been exciting. And hopefully, it'll be an advantage for us again this year. But I'm excited to have our fans back. back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. Closing out the show real strong on this Friday. Closing out the week real strong. We'll see everyone at Allegiant Stadium on Sunday morning. Excited about that. Of course, 10 a.m. will be Q's kickoff. Be the pregame to the pregame show. Have one hour long, one hour strong. Then we'll pass the sticks on to JT the Brick and Eric Allen. Then they'll pass the sticks on to Jason Horowitz and Lincoln Kennedy for the official call. Of course, you can hear that game right here on Radio Nation Radio 920. Excited about the, the game, excited about the opportunity, excited to see who we're talking about come Monday, depending on the outcome of the game. My man Pegleg Raider hit us up and said, I think if we're talking about Jonathan Abram having a good game, keeping Kyle, Kyler from doing major 
damage with his legs, we win easy, 31-17. So he's looking at Jonathan Abram as a guy that could be uh, an X factor possibly to slow Kyler down. You know, it's so funny because we talk about Kyler's legs, and I don't want to make it sound like that's all he could do is run. He is not a guy that, you know, has to run all the time, but he is a guy that can run all the time, or he can run whenever he wants. He's just that athletic. But, man, that dude can make all the throws. Like Deron Harmon told us when he joined us at the beginning of the show, the dude can make every single throw. So don't want to sound disrespectful and act like he can't throw. It's just that he's so – dynamic and it could do so many different things that it just makes him that much more dangerous so Jonathan Abram may have his work cut out for him uh, and the Raiders defense in general will have their work cut out for him come Sunday let's go out to the phone lines at 702-365-9200 let's talk to our guy Raider Mac welcome to the show my man what's on your mind all right what's up fellas hey, not much I know we are short on time I'll make it quick hey I think the key is uh Diablo because here's the thing you need to spy on uh, on Kyler Murray because here, here's what I saw in that Kansas City game is that they had a spy on him and the reason why was because on third and two or third and one when the play broke down he took off and got a first down and that's the key of getting off the field we don't want to be on we don't want to give him that extra extra uh, time just like what happened in San in that San Diego I mean not San Diego but the L A Chargers and the and the Chiefs yesterday, uh, uh, what's the name, catches that ball, the DB catches that ball, that game is over, but he dropped it. So yeah. that that little bit of that little bit of keying on, on, on make sure he don't get those first down, those extra first downs with his legs is going to be key. And I think Diablo should, you know, going to be the guy that's spying on him. And also, uh, real quick, Q, and I'll let you go. Hey, the, the – the biggest thing for, for me on Carr this week, it's not whether he throws interceptions, it's when he throws interceptions. You know, just yeah. don't th- just just have a a, a, a a game that you always show that you can throw to different people. Because if you just lock in, I guarantee you they saw that game against the, the Chargers and they're not going to let, they're going to double team um, my man uh, Devontae and we got to spread it out. And I'll let you go, man. We should be one and one, and you'll hear a different call from Raider fans <laughs> this week. You know how it is. When you lose, yeah. everything, the, the, the sun is falling. Hey, we, we, we should have a good game, but it's not going to be no easy game. I, I'm telling yeah. y'all, they come they coming out as a wounded animal. And, all right, man, you know what happens with wounded animals? They tend, they tend to bite back. Yep. Absolutely. Great call, Raider Mac. Appreciate you, man. Enjoy your weekend. And, yeah, you're right. This game is not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, I know I make it sound like it's going to be easy when I say that the Raiders are going to win by double digits, but I just I think that the Raiders are a much better team than the, the Cardinals. But it's going to be a dogfight regardless. I mean, they're, they're not going to just lay down and let the Raiders roll them. But they're, they're, you know, especially after getting embarrassed by Kansas City last week. But just like, just like the Cardinals saw some, some Raider tendencies and say, okay, we're not going to allow the Raiders to do this. We're not going to allow the Raiders to do that. The Raiders also have seen some Cardinal tendencies now. Okay, this is how we're going to counter what they're trying to do. So all these coaching staffs are very smart. You know, one of the biggest chess matches I'll be paying attention to is, you know, Josh McDaniels' offense countering Vance Joseph's defense and that, and that, uh, that, the, the blitz that Vance Joseph likes to bring. He's going to bring the pressure throughout the course of the, the game. How is Derek Carr going to handle the pressure? How is the offensive line going to handle the pressure? Is Darren Waller going to have that big game that DeMond believes he's going to have? Can Devontae do it anyway, even though they're doubling him? Sure. You know what I mean? There's, there's, there's a lot of different ways 
to win this game if you're the Raiders. There's a lot of different avenues you can go down. This could be a game that we're talking about on Monday. Josh Jacobs had 20 carries for all we know, right? I mean, it, it, could be, it could be a lot of different directions that this team could go in order to get a victory. I do think that they win. I think Jerron Harmon's a guy we talk about. I think, you know, just like DeMond said, we'll be talking about Darren Waller, but that's why they played a the game. Well, we'll have to find out. Allen in Vegas said, great show, guys. Enjoy your weekend. We will, and we'll see you at the Torch on Sunday. Make sure you wake up with the morning tailgate Monday morning to get a full recap of how the game went down on Sunday. We'll talk to you, man. It's Red Nation Radio 920. Have a great weekend.